linguistic Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. As you might remember, a few weeks ago, my friends Ron and Claudia gave me a ride up to Lone Pine, where we spent several days visiting with Gene and Myron Stolaroff. And you'll remember some of the uh, earlier conversations I had with the Stolaroffs at their home in the high desert, as uh, well as my podcast of the talk Myron gave at the 100th birthday celebration for Dr. Albert Hoffman. And if you missed those programs, they are podcast numbers 83, 84, and 60. So I'll let you refer back to them for some of Myron's background, which you can also read about in his autobiography, Tonto Steros, and in John Markoff's uh, great book, What the Dormouse Said, which talks about Myron's work at the Institute for Advanced Studies, where participants learn to use LSD as a tool in their creative work. After the U.S. began the prohibition of psychedelics like LSD, the Institute closed, but uh, Myron and his wife Jean continued their work with various legal psychoactive compounds until the government finally banned all research into virtually every psychedelic substance known and unknown. And during the transitional years, when the medicinal use of these substances, such as MDMA, was being closed down, well, that's when another professional in the field, who at the time was called the secret chief, did some of his best work. And it eventually fell to Myron to chronicle this important work in a book of the same name, The Secret Chief. And so now I'll pick up on a conversation Myron and I had during a quiet Saturday afternoon while we were sitting on a couch in his living room. And we were just beginning to talk about how he went about writing his book about Leo Zeff, the man who was once known as the secret chief. And uh, that's where I'll pick up. Oh, and one more uh, thing. If you think you're hearing the wind blowing a couple times during this conversation, you'll be correct. It was a very windy day, as you will soon hear. I guess as a result, I never really gave much thought to how you went about doing the book. So, But, of course, you'd known Leo for a long time, and so then you sat down and just uh, interviewed him for the book. Oh, yeah. Gene and I worked together. We went to visit him, and we spent time, and uh, we recorded everything that was being said, and uh, uh, we probably got together with him uh, several times until we'd covered the whole mm-hmm. documentation. And... Uh, <clears throat> At first, you know, uh, we did it on the agreement that we developed the information, but we wouldn't necessarily prevent it. And uh, so uh, what made it get prevented is that <laughs> Leo left us. <laughs> so then then uh, <clears throat> we had to uh, agree with uh, several people that were really close to him. And, and from that, we went ahead and... Uh, develop the book and and how how did was he happy about getting this out there eventually or excited well, how did he feel about it oh i think he felt very good about it i think he was i think he was happy that somebody was interested enough to uh present the material mm-hmm. and uh so he was he was happy to uh cooperate and he, he trained so many people. I know he, he trained uh, oh, hundreds George hundreds. Greer and his wife, Riqua, uh, <laughs> uh, among others, because we mm-hmm. did a podcast with them. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess hundreds of people he must have trained. Huh? Mm-hmm. 
Now, how did do you know? Do you know? Uh, I, and I'm going to ask some questions that are in the book that uh, the people should go out and read the book. But uh, how did how did he uh, did he personally take MDMA with the people when they were taking their training, or did he? Uh, how did? Oh, he I don't think so. I think uh, uh, he preferred to just sit with them mm-hmm. and just be alert and and, and present. Mm-hmm. I don't think he felt like he had to take anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking more about the trainers uh, when he was training the, the, the other therapists that were, were doing it. Uh, uh, I remember George and Rico tell the story about they, they took it themselves first before they gave it to anybody else uh, as therapists. And So I guess that would be part of the training for everybody is uh, don't give this medicine to somebody if you haven't taken it yourself. Oh, I'm pretty sure that would, yeah. that would be uh, essential. What was his name? Phil Donahue used to do these talk shows on television. And this is back around 86, maybe. No, it was probably around 84 when MDMA had hit the streets in Dallas as ecstasy and it was Mm. really getting big. And he did a program, a whole hour program on it, in which he had uh, several different points of view represented on stage. You know, he had a DEA guy and a... a doctor and then a therapist, but the audience was full of people who had, I think, probably been helped by people maybe that Leo had trained because uh, person after person got up on the audience saying, oh, let me tell you what it did for me and let me tell you what it did for me. Oh, and for it was, uh, for years I had a copy of that tape until I loaned it to somebody and it disappeared, but it's, it's I'm sure there's a, a archive somewhere of all his programs that it could be recovered eventually, but... Uh, that was when it was still legal, and uh, you know people could talk about it and talk about their work with it. So it's amazing what's been happening just recently with what Michael Mitoffer is doing with PTSD and, and MDMA. That he's had some just really amazing results. And if if I remember right, he he believes now that uh, many cases of post traumatic stress disorder, at least that are associated with rape, can actually. Uh, most of the people can be essentially cured of the heavy-duty problems with PTSD in as as few as one or two MDMA sessions with a skilled psychotherapist. But uh, Mm -hmm. they they do the whole session, and then the person stays there that night, and they cook them a meal, and they, I mean, they they keep them for the whole, you know, like an 18-hour session. It's not like you just go to the doctor's office and do it and they send you on the whole, way yeah. home. So mm-hmm. I think they're they're doing a very responsible mm, uh, job of it, yeah. What would be the highlights? You know, what are what are some of the things that uh you've had this huge, long, exciting career, you've known all these people from Sasha to Hoffman and then all the participants and everything the craziness in the sixties that uh anything stand out as, as Either more more uh, comedy or more tragedy than <laughs> any others. Uh, well, first of all, I don't think there's any tragedy. I think uh, we're pretty lucky to <laughs> to, to, to get around that. Uh, we spent quite a bit of time, you know. Uh, at first, uh, uh, we were fortunate to be able. To uh, have experiences with uh, compounds that were promising, and uh, so it meant a lot for us personally. And then, in due time, uh, we had moved over here. We'd gotten quite a bit of information, and uh, 
we began to feel that uh, it was worthwhile uh, dealing with other people who might be interested. And so that lasted for oh, over 10 years, I think. Uh, we'd have people come maybe every other week. And sometimes it might be two or three people, uh, probably not for more than four others besides ourselves. And uh, we did that for uh, quite a few years, and we enjoyed it. And I think the people <laughs> who uh, uh, went through it, I think they, they were very grateful and they enjoyed it. Uh, I don't think we ran into any real difficulties. Every once in a rare while, you might find somebody who's kind of scary or afraid and... Uh, I don't really remember specifically that there's anyone who's really in bad shape. Uh, but by and large, most of the people uh, were very happy and had a lot of benefit from just participating mm-hmm. and, and experiencing those things. You know that uh, you've been associated with this for what, more than 50 years now, so uh, it's probably uh, an unfair question to ask because... But it's the question I get asked most often is is people say, you know, I'm sitting out here and wherever in the, the hills of Scotland or the outback of Australia or a big city in China, and I think I'm the only person around in this whole part of the country that's interested in these subjects. So how do I find other people? And, you know, I usually tell them, well, you know, you have to go somewhere, go to a conference or something mm-hmm. like that to meet them. That you, you've had no problem finding people because people find you. <laughs> you have any ideas about that? Well, it's an interesting thing to think about. I don't know. Uh, it, it seemed to all fall together pretty naturally. Uh, of course, <clears throat> you know, we had wonderful guides ourselves where we learned about different substances and what it meant for us personally. And then in time, we began to recognize how some of these things could be used with other people. So then we began opening the doors and, and having more and more people come. So that uh, I'd say over 10 or 15 years, we had actually worked with uh, quite a few people. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> the way that it spread, you know, we'd start with people that we knew and uh, were interested. And then they in turn, you know, they... <laughs> enjoyed the experience and felt it was worthwhile and so they would introduce us to other people and say is it alright if so and so comes and so on mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, so that just kept growing and growing and so it kept going for uh, I, mean, I don't know the exact number somewhere between 10 and 20 years <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was 10 years at least <laughs> uh, uh, but that that went on for for quite a while, and uh, we really enjoyed uh, doing that work. Yeah, you know, I guess in in my own case, uh, I spent so many years feeling isolated, and then finally I met one or two people, and they introduced me to somebody else. And I met somebody else, and now it seems like everybody I know is <laughs> is involved in psychedelics. That uh-huh. uh, and I don't by involved, uh, I don't mean they're. A lot of my friends who I, I would consider involved don't really use psychedelics. Uh, some have never used them, but they're mm-hmm. fascinating. Uh, and I've got a lawyer friend who's uh, just intrigued uh, with LSD, 
but he's never been able to screw up the courage to take it, you yeah, know, all these yeah. years. And yeah, uh, and I can understand that. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I was pretty intimidated my first time, but uh, I came in, you know, a whole generation after you were using it, and I'd come in after all the government scares about all this thing, all the false information they put out. And, yeah. And so uh, a lot of people have to overcome that. But, uh, you know, at, at breakfast this morning, Jean was... Uh, Kind of, I forgot how she said it, but she said, "Oh yeah, everywhere you go, you're riding on a shuttle from the airport to a hotel or something. You strike up a conversation about psychedelics. Uh, how, how do you how do you approach strangers? I mean, if you're just sitting on a bus with somebody, do you just oh, strike I up can, a conversation? I, had, I really had a lot of fun with that. Uh, I'd uh, I had to go to catch an airplane, and uh, we're usually at my daughter's house, and it's uh, quite a distance to. Uh, to the airport, and so we'd get uh, the uh, what do you call it? Uh, oh, the shuttle. Or the, the shuttle. Yeah. yeah, we'd have the shuttle come and pick us up, and it, it took oh forty-five minutes mm-hmm. uh, usually to get over there. So we'd get in, and you know, sooner or later they'd pick up other people. There'd be a few people in mm-hmm. the car, and uh, if they were close, and they, if they <laughs> looked friendly, uh, I might. Uh, uh, bring up an issue and ask questions and so on and uh, and it it kind of struck me that uh, how frequently it was that somebody that were sitting there usually it's not a a big uh, I think it there's only maybe a half a dozen people yeah. that would get in the same mm-hmm. unit uh, but uh, almost always uh, a get the interest of at least one person and <laughs> maybe some more than that and then we go from there you know and just see how far are we willing to, to discuss it uh, I don't think I was ever totally shut off it, it might have been that sometimes you know nobody was interested and so you just had to forget it but uh, it was kind of interesting I think I I think I got somebody's interest almost every time. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. And I just did it just to see if I could, I could raise that interest. <laughs> yeah. Well, it uh talking about politics and religion, you know. that. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, you always had to be careful, you know, that I'm not doing anything now. Right. Uh, this yeah. is stuff that uh, used to do, unfortunately, uh, our stupid government <laughs> shut things down. So uh, not much is going on, but uh, we were fortunate that there was a time when we could do these things. And at least we can, uh, at least for the time being, still talk about these things. Yeah. So uh, hopefully that'll go on. But, mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, you never never had any ugly incident with anybody uh, preaching to you about the uh, evils of these substances? Or not anything. a one. Not mm-hmm. a one. Yeah, I've been amazed at how many, uh, how many times I've been someplace, and one way or another the subject comes up and... Uh, Next thing you know, everybody's gathered in the conversation. You know, it's. Uh, I think there's just a lot more interest in these things than anybody really has a, a inkling about it. Well, I, th- I think that's absolutely right, and it seemed to me we were pretty lucky that uh, we very often had people join us in, in the car we were going in, and uh, and were curious, mm-hmm. or or sometimes they had uh, better information, and uh, they enjoyed uh, pursuing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that that's the whole thing, is you just start talking to people, and uh, one thing leads to another. And Mm -hmm. uh, so that uh, I found that that, uh, 
it's really in my life, at least in my my case, it's it's more important for me to be in contact with people that I can talk to about these things than actually even have access to the substances. You know that. Mm. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I I wasn't always like that. I was a in a phase, you know, when you first get involved and you get all inflated and I at least, you know, I I got carried away and I thought, wow, this is going to change the world and mm-hmm. save the whole human race. And uh, I still believe that, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, it didn't happen as quickly as I thought, you know. <laughs> well, unfortunately, our government really put the clamps on. Yeah. So it's really sad. You know, the thing that's so sad, and I, I report this any time that I can, but what's so sad is uh, uh, we're supposed to be uh, one of the most uh, understanding people of the whole the whole world. So it's uh, very disappointing to see the way everything's been shut down and you're not able, made it, made it outlawing to, to fool around with these substances. You know, something that uh, just struck me when, when you said we're supposed to be the most open people, and we, the people on the vans going to the airports, really are open, apparently. You know? <laughs> but it's our government that uh, really shut all this stuff oh, down. Oh, the, go- the yeah. government is the, is the one that's totally responsible for making all this stuff uh, difficult. You know, well, these things eliminate fear and break down boundaries, and, you know, that's how they keep us all in check with the, mm. the boundaries and the fear. And so I can see how these substances are a threat to uh, the status quo, mm-hmm. which uh, uh, the status quo never stays the same very long, even mm. though people fight to maintain it. Oh, the DEA, they're, they're, they've, they've been the toughest month. To a man, they're really refuting these things, so... And uh, with with all the power that they have, and uh, they're not interested in learning anything about it. They're not interested in learning if there's anything possible. We're just really lucky that in the last uh, maybe three years or so, that uh, we've been able to get a few of these projects uh, open. Yeah. And uh, hopefully, we hope that those will grow, and uh, some of them are showing great success and. Uh, so based on that, they'll begin to expand, and uh, then more and more people will be able to have access to it, right. and it should really begin to grow. So uh, it's been ver- a very slow process, but uh, at least there's still some hope in there. Yeah, I think there is a, a little ray of hope, <laughs> and uh, you know, we've, the people who are just now getting really to retirement age are. Uh, you know the children of the '60s, and a lot of those at least had one or two experiences. You'd, <laughs> you'd hope they would remember fondly, and uh, and yet there's a whole. The following generation grew up under the "just say no" draconian rules, and and now I think it's it's like skipped a generation because the 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 people I know who are 30 and under. Uh, are really much more like what what you guys were back in the the 50s and 60s pioneering mm-hmm. these things is that uh, for one thing they're armed with a lot of information that mm-hmm. nobody's had before because yeah. of the internet and yeah, that, that's really helpful I think that's made a big difference that uh, you know it's, it's it's still a lot of young people and I wasn't that young when I got involved but I I started it felt good I enjoyed it you know and and uh, uh, granted, I was starting to make some spiritual connections and work on some issues of myself and our family, but 
on top of all of the positive benefits like that, it just felt good, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and human beings like to do things that feel good. So mm. now I think it's happening where uh, a lot of young people are encountering these substances for the first time at uh, at gatherings, at raves, at dances, parties, uh, and uh, n- not uh, not even a majority of them, but a, a significant percentage of them seem to get it. You know, mm-hmm. and then they'll go out and start doing the work in smaller groups, and mm-hmm. and really start paying attention. and And they're the ones that are coming to Arrowhead and and uh, you know reading your books and the Shulgin's books, and 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 uh, uh, really searching out the information, trying to uh, learn how to better do these things. So, yeah. unfortunately, there are people producing books and producing excellent information that that's available. Yeah, I I know just uh well, I I've, I've only been involved in this in uh, you know 20 some years and back in the beginning when I was involved, you know, it's it's like pulling teeth to find out any information that uh there'd be a few mimeograph sheets that were passed or Xerox sheets, you know, passed mm-hmm. around that here's some information, but now uh you could spend the next 6 months full time at Arrowwood and still not even get halfway through their material, you know, that <laughs> that there's Well, they're a, doing a, a oh. great job. And actually, uh, the, gov- the government is, is using them, too. You know, right. They realize that they're careful and they're honest, and, uh, and a lot of times they get uh, very worthwhile information from them. Yeah, I, I, I've heard that the uh, government uh, does uh, contact them and uh, because their information is, is rock solid. It's been mm-hmm. researched, and uh, you know, those, those are hardworking people up there. <laughs> they are. They really are. Yeah. A wonderful couple. They are, but yeah, yeah. the uh, the information at least is readily available now, and and uh, uh, you know people keep not many, but I, I get frequent requests for you know how do I find this stuff, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know everybody always says uh, well you can trust me, you know, and mm-hmm. and I'm sure I probably could, but you know first of all I, I make a point of not knowing where to find stuff because. Uh, mm-hmm. When I started doing these podcasts, I thought, you know, I better be squeaky clean. Yeah. But uh, I've I've kind of gotten to the point where I think that when if you start researching this and thinking about it and 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 really kind of working on yourself and 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 paying attention, somehow they seem to find you. I I don't know quite how to do that, but I I'd spent years just really trying to figure out how I could do ayahuasca. And uh, then all of a sudden, without me even thinking about it, the opportunity just popped into my face, you know, and, mm. and it turned out to be a good time for me. So, uh, oh, good. Uh, these these medicines have a little spirit of their own that they mm-hmm. uh, seek you out. Certainly sought you out. <laughs> <laughs> Do you did did you uh, have much experience with uh, mushrooms, or did was yours mainly work in chemicals? We've had mushrooms. I can remember a case or two, and this goes back uh, quite a few years, uh, but uh, I can remember some where it was pretty intense, and uh, but also, but it ends up with a tremendous opening. Mm-hmm. Mm. How, did, how do you, did you enjoy the, the plant experience any differently from a chemical experience? There's a lot of pros and cons about that. Oh, I don't know. I, I think you have to be careful how you uh, assign those things. Uh, <clears throat> what determines what's happening is a lot of the stuff that you've uh, 
already experienced, and, and a lot of us have stuffed a lot of stuff down uh, uh, out of consciousness. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we've got, even starting from childhood, uh, you run into difficulties, uh, places where you've been mistreated, and uh, uh, maybe going up to school, uh, getting uh, running into people who were not friendly, and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, and uh, what happens with a lot of people is they just push that away and pretend that it's not there. Yeah. And uh, but it, but it is there until you're really willing to open and see what it is. And that's not easy. And I'm, I've been through that process. I've, now I'm talking about going back ten, maybe ten to fifteen to twenty years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is when times actually when some of these materials were still uh, uh, legal, at least mm-hmm. they haven't, hadn't been uh, uh, knocked out. And uh, it uh, takes a lot of courage to learn that uh, you need to open your heart and allow whatever it is you stuff down within yourself and uh, that's holding you down. Uh, even though it's painful, you're much better off if you're willing to experience the pain, be with it and let it go, because uh, once it breaks through and it's gone, you're at a whole new level, mm-hmm. and uh, it's an enormous opening. And it's uh, it, God, you feel worlds better because uh, you've been freed up. And sometimes <clears throat> that just uh, re- you just realize, well, now you know I got through that one. There's another one down here that's pretty tough and uh, dragging. So, uh, you know, I got through the other one. Maybe I'll make my way out of this one. You work your way out of that one. You feel even better. Then finally you realize that, my God, you should never uh, try to not handle those things. Mm -hmm. The important thing to do is to be willing to get right into the heart of it. And there there are ways to do that. And there are people who have described that. And... uh, uh, that's that's really very important and very helpful. Yeah, Ann Shogun talks about that some, and because uh, uh, I asked her one time about because I've I've really only had one or two times I would say was I had a bad trip, mm-hmm. and so I asked her, "Am I saving up for the mother of all bad trips?" And she said, "Only if you're not willing and prepared to handle stuff that comes up." Just exactly what you said. That mm-hmm. if you if you can deal with those things and then you can move on and you have the openings. And yeah. I guess the only thing that's uh, from time to time discouraged me a little bit is I'll, I'll have those epiphanies after I clear out some garbage and mm-hmm. and the next week or so I'm just really flying high and then the old habits kick in and that stuff starts coming back again, you know. And I do have to say that after a number of years now that that doesn't really happen too much anymore, but I was really discouraged for a while there thinking, gosh, you know, I'm never well, getting through. Yeah, there's, there's, you think that just because you did this, everything's okay, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but you forget that there's layers of other stuff there waiting to be released. And uh, so the sooner you're willing to face that and open that up, uh, the more quickly you can get free of all that stuff. And when you do get free, you feel better and better, and uh, you're more alive, mm-hmm. and uh, life is a lot better. So, uh, but I I have a lot of trouble with that because 
I have a lot of deep places which uh, which are very hurting, and they're so hurting, you know, don't want to deal with them. Mm-hmm. So you have to uh, make the decision mm-hmm. of what you want to do. And uh, I've learned that it's very, very helpful uh, to really be willing to feel discomfort and pain, mm-hmm. to stay with it until it opens up. Because uh, once you're released from it, it's a, it's a whole new life. And see, a lot of times, uh, the release that you get comes from areas that were so painful and so difficult that we've stamped them down and we refuse to, co- uh, in our consciousness to admit that it's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just too much to handle. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we pretend we're okay, but actually we're still carrying all this pain around. And, uh, but it just takes time to, to realize that uh, you can get rid of it and you have to be willing to do whatever is necessary. If it's, if it's hurting and it's hurting real bad, you just have to face it and be with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually it lets go and, my God, it's just such a relief when that happens. Yeah. You're a new person. <laughs> But you know, in in a way, uh, it's I'm in the process of going through some of that right now. And a few weeks ago, I was I was at a kind of a bad point where I, I didn't want to face up to something. I was trying to avoid it, and uh, something in the past. And and this uh, dear friend of uh, of ours down in Southern California, he said, "Well, you know, you can't change the past, but you can change the way you think about it." <laughs> I mean, that's such a simple thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I started changing the way I think about mm-hmm. this series of events in the past mm-hmm. because I can't change. You know, I, up until then, I'd been beating up myself thinking, well, if I'd only done this or I should have mm-hmm. done this or mm-hmm. I could have done that. And now I, I think, well, you know, I can't change that, but I can, what did I learn about it? What, you know, what do we all learn about it? And, mm-hmm. and sometimes that involves uh, calling people up and talking or writing letters or getting mm-hmm. together with them and say, hey, you know, let me rewind here. And, mm-hmm. and, but that's, and that's really hard for me to do sometimes. But, uh, yeah, but it's very, very worthwhile. See, the, the, the main trouble in all this stuff is that there, there is a part of us that's frightened and they are afraid of the pain and they don't want to deal with it. And so uh, you try to pretend that it's not there but it is there Mm -hmm. and as long as it's there it's going to control you you're going to feel it you're going to run into situations uh where where it hurts Mm -hmm. and uh, just the sooner that you decide you know i got to get rid of that and be willing to really do whatever it takes to go through it and see what it is that that you have locked up be willing to face it and experience Mm -hmm. it because once it comes to the surface and released, you're through with it. Yeah, that's and that's what that's what's really really important. Yeah, the the letting go. Uh, yeah. What is it? He said something else that. Uh, gosh, I don't know if I can quite remember it. Is uh, moving on is letting go transformed. <laughs> uh huh. And uh, yeah, that's very well said. Yeah, moving on is letting go transformed. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, a, a couple of these simple little aphorisms, if I can keep them in my head, you know, mm-hmm. I can 
get through these hard days sometimes. Yeah. Although, in all honesty, uh, the the hard hard days and weeks of my life are are over. I'm I'm probably never been at a better point in my life. I'm, oh, I know I haven't been. Wonderful. I've never been happier, more fulfilled. Now that doesn't mean I don't have a lot of problems. I've got the whole bundle of fears and anxieties that we. But I I don't pay much attention to them anymore. You know they're that's they're still great. there. But uh, that's great. Uh, yeah, and, and it shows, you know, because you're really very alive, and you're fun to be with. And uh, but just, you know, I I owe really I owe my life to all of these medicines that I was heading down a really dark way before I before I met them, you know, and and really all they've done for me, I mean, it's everything. It's given me my life, but. All it really did, it didn't transform me or change me into somebody new. It took me back to who I was when I was a boy before I had all of this other layers of stuff mm. put on me. I got back to my old dreaming self sitting up in the maple tree guy, you know. And uh, uh, and I'm not totally there yet. But no, mm-hmm. None of us ever will be, I don't think. But uh, the the fact that uh, right now, actually, if, if I really for example if i if i had a recurrence of my cancer uh i would have no fear about it at all the first thing i would do is head down to peru to the amazon and to my ayahuascaro that i know down mm. there because i am so absolutely convinced that i could deal with anything that way Wonderful. and and that's a tool that maybe i hopefully i'll never have to use that way but knowing that these tools are there and you know if if there's a relationship issue, you have a tool of MDMA that you can use. You know, mm-hmm. if you uh, have a creativity issue, there's the LSD tool to use. You know, there's a lot of different tools that could, uh, uh, and you know, these things. I don't know. I I don't know if you've given any thought, but it seems so strange that we could evolve these complex brains and have all these neat little receptors, and then these plants would grow. That had these that fit in these little receptors, these molecules that make it. It can't be an accident that that these psychoactive plants in our brains have co-evolved into some sort of a symbiosis to lift us, you know, out of flatland into another dimension. It just seems to me no accident. But uh, then again, maybe that's how I rationalize my love for using these medicines. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, once you reach some of these higher levels and uh, realize how pure the, the purity, absolute purity, uh, the fantastic love, uh, that's there waiting for us. And uh, from time to time, we can feel it at times. And when we know that that's very real, and that's probably the most important thing we can do is to get into that stage. That, that's the most important thing that we could possibly do. So if we focused on that and worked on that, and and, and I have to be careful here. You know, I said, I used the word uh, worked on that, and uh, the working is not, you know, really struggling and trying to make things happen. It isn't that at all. What it is is learning to just be still, hmm. to just let everything go. Just absolutely be still and let our hearts open. Because as that opens, 
we get into the area that we're really looking for, you know, where we're, where we're really alive, where this is it, man. <laughs> this is really what it's all about. And it's pure, absolutely pure love. You know, I, I hadn't made that connection exactly like that, uh, the, the pure love, until just this moment. Because you, you got me thinking about uh, Sasha has this, this scale, the plus five scale, where a plus one is a little tingle, you know, there's something active going on, and plus five is, is the pure love, the bliss, but when you come back, you can't remember anything, <laughs> and plus four is what you're going for, it's right on the edge of bliss, but uh, you remember it. And I'd not translated that until this moment, but that plus five state is that pure love. I, you know, I've, I've been there a few times, and and what you said is exactly what uh, how, how how I've approached those plus five states. You know, you uh, and I've not been there that often, but when you come back uh, and somebody says, "Well, you know, how was it? What happened?" You know, said, it was incredible. Well, hmm. What was it like? I don't know. <laughs> you, uh, uh, but what you well, do? You got got to go one step further. That I don't know. You got to get rid of the I don't know because you know. Well, yeah, well, I you guess you really know. <laughs> you're exactly right. It's, it's I can't put it into words. Is I guess the answer. Because, but that's the that's exactly what you said. Is that you come back and while maybe you. You don't. You can't know exactly how to put this into your daily life at the moment, but you know that your core, and everybody's core, and where we're all touching each other is this core of love, and and mm-hmm. and uh, that's that that state that uh, I sometimes uh, Mary C and I sometimes uh, I joke with her that uh, I've had uh, uh, several experiences that were like so incredibly blissful, but. After a while, I thought, hey, it's time for this to be over. I want to, the next act, what's going on next? But I just stayed in this state of perfect bliss for way too long, 20, 30 minutes, way too long. And I came back and I said, too long? How how could it be too long? That's what she keeps saying. I said, you know what? Bliss is really boring after a while. <laughs> and and oh? I, I think we come back to this plane here just because we've been so blissed out, we're bored, and we want a little pain and agony so that we can appreciate the bliss. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my, oh, but my, oh, my. I, I really did get to the point where, and, and this one particular experience where it's just like, wow, you know, and, and I did feel like I could stay there forever. But well, why not? But nothing was happening, you know. There was no action, no adventure. It's just I was just at a perfect state of bliss. You know, I guess I wanted to talk to somebody. I didn't mm-hmm. want. To, I felt alone. Maybe that's what it was. It's, you know, some of the uh, different religious uh, myths and legends talk about uh, a, a, a god figure. You know, why did a god create a universe? Well, because it was lonely. Uh, and and I've been in a couple of those states where uh, I felt like I was the only soul in the cosmos, and uh, that pure bliss state was one of those where hmm. I just needed somebody to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> but you see, you're already them. They are already hmm. you. We're, we're all we're all one together. Oh. You know, I I do tell myself that a lot. That you know, and particularly uh, when I see somebody that irritates me, you know, it's uh, what about that? What in that person am I seeing in myself? What's reflecting back? And uh, 
So I've just had to stop watching the news. <laughs> There's so much about me I don't like in the news. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you're overlooking the, the fact that you have an opportunity there because yeah. you look at someone and, uh, of course, I think probably you have to be pretty well settled down for yourself and be feeling really good. And then you see another person and they're having problems and they're hurting and you can recognize that and you can wish them well mm -hmm. and uh, you can you can send love to them and uh, help them hopefully it might help them lift themselves up Good point. and be, begin to change their lives something I've been thinking about a lot lately is because uh, I've got these new grandchildren coming into my life and and you know, they talk about stem cell research, and you get a stem cell, and it can become any kind of a cell. And I think these little infants that come into the world are sort of like stem cells. You know, mm -hmm. if, if you take a baby, no matter where it's born, and put it in an American family, or you take the same baby and put it in a Vietnamese family or a Chinese family, uh, no matter where that child is placed, all of the overlays of family and society and culture and religion get laid into that. But that same little being could have been a, a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew or a, uh, a Buddhist, depending on where they got the overlays put in. Mm. And so I see these medicines as cleaning house, cleanse the doors of perception, get rid of the overlays back to your little innocent stem cell body <laughs> and say, now I'm going to take charge. And I'm going to put the, you know, we all put overlays back on, but am I going to overlay myself as a, a Buddhist or as a Muslim or or as, you know, just a free thinker who likes the spiritual tradition and picks the best ones out of it? I think that, uh, I think that's really maybe what we're in the process of doing with some of these medicines is getting rid of the childhood uh, things back to the pure, innocent beings we are. Because these little babies, when they, you know, they... They just gurgle and goo, and you know, and, mm -hmm. and as they get older, they start adapting the social norms. And mm -hmm. cause, you know, I, I don't know, I, but uh, I really think that there's just so much hope for humanity if we could <laughs> just all get along. <laughs> right, right. Our conversation rambled on from there for a while, but most of it wouldn't really be of much interest to you, I don't think. Mainly, we talked about the big windstorm we were experiencing and the fact that there was very little snow in the mountains this year. So it was a nice surprise when we got up the next morning and found that a snowstorm had blanketed the high Sierra during the night. And I'll post a picture of that scene with the program notes for this podcast if you want to see what it looked like. And you can find those notes at www.psychedelicsalon.org. At the uh, breakfast table on Sunday morning, when Myron started to tell a story about the last time he saw Alan Watts, I asked him if it was okay to turn on my recorder again, and, and so now we have a couple more of uh, Myron Stolaroff's Lone Pine stories. You know, it's, it's funny, I, you and I had talked a couple of times about... Uh, uh, about Alan Watts, and uh, you were about to say the last time that you saw him. Uh... Hubbard and I met him in, in San Francisco. We had wet breakfast with him, and he was on his way to go uh, to. Um, uh, he was going to uh, go east and see Tim Leary, and uh, Hubbard 
you know, by this time we had seen a lot of things going on and the way people were doing things and Hubbard was very disturbed that these things weren't being handled very well. And uh, see, Larry had uh, taken a bunch of people uh, down to uh, Mexico. I had a big place there. In fact, I, I, I was down there uh, uh, part of the time with them. Oh, really? I didn't know that. So uh, <clears throat> they had been there and they'd uh, had a bunch of people getting together and had their own ways of handling things and some of it uh, I, I was there for a while and uh, uh, I didn't think they were handling things too well but anyway Larry was getting out of hand and getting into all kinds of stuff and it, so something really needed to be done to, to hold that back and, and uh, so uh, so he told us that uh, He'd look into it and he'd take care of everything. But when he got there, he just went right in with him. He thought everything they were doing was great. <laughs> pushing it out all over the place. <laughs> so so, so that, was, that was my last experience with him. So, so sending Alan Watts to, uh, to calm down Leary is like throwing gasoline on the fire, huh? Right, exactly. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> I guess that's the first time I've heard too that uh, that Hubbard had gotten concerned about what Leary was up to. Uh, I guess we hadn't talked about that, but Hubbard just uh, was getting nervous about all of the the press. Is that uh, well? It's, uh, <coughs> things things just were getting out out of order, and uh, all, all kinds of stuff was going on. And the people who were on the list, uh, Osmond and Hopper. Uh, they said, uh, you get him off or we're getting gone. Well, you know, these are real outstanding yeah. people and also very dear friends. <laughs> so I went up to, to tell him that uh, we had to take him off. Of course, all, all the other guys around there were very supportive of him and uh, they, they thought it was awful and all. But then I said, well, <clears throat> uh, you know, he's getting kicked out of Harvard. And they said, oh, that's a lot of crap. Those are, those are rumors that are going all the way around. And I said, Tim, is that, is that right or isn't it? <laughs> he never told his own people that they were kicking him out of Harvard. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> well, it's consistent with the character I've heard of and <laughs> from other sources. <laughs> uh, what was their reaction? Were they like, Oh, they were, oh, they were, uh, well, it hurts, you know, here, here's your key guy, you know, you think you're with him, you think everything's going okay, you find out he's getting kicked out, and they didn't even tell you. <laughs> I imagine there was a little tension around the dinner table after oh, that. Oh, there was, huh? there was. <laughs> anyway, the next morning I was leaving, He, was, I had to leave early to catch a plane, and uh, so I went up. I said, you know, I can't, I don't have it in my heart to tell you not to do what you're doing, <laughs> but really, what you're doing is not going in the right directions. <laughs> and uh, so I said, I said goodbye to him. And then when I got home, I thought, Jesus Christ, what's the matter with me? You know, what he's doing is, is incorrigible. So I wrote him a long letter. <laughs> 
and uh, and sent it back. I don't think I ever heard from him anymore. Did Did you keep a copy of that letter? I, it might be somewhere. I don't know if I can find it. Well, if you find it, of course, I'd love to see it. But so that just so that you know, that letter still exists. I'm almost a hundred percent sure because uh, I've I've had some contact with the people who are trying to uh, sell his archives to the university, mm. and uh, I've seen pictures of the storage sheds where it is. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of catalog boxes, and the man never threw a thing away, oh. including his grade school report cards. Uh, so any yeah, letter, Leary's? Leary, yeah, and so any correspondence he got from anybody, uh, I'm sure all of the, the any correspondence between him and your institute is still in existence. So someday that will be in some university archive where scholars can go through and see it. So uh, it's nice to know it exists. I just yeah. thought you should know. Since this program is a bit long, I'm going to bring it to a close now, even though there have been several emails about ayahuasca that I'd like to cover. I'm still planning on posting parts of these email conversations on our program notes page, which you can find at www.psychedelicsalon.org. And in case you went there over the weekend uh, looking for those postings, well, I have to apologize for not getting them online yet, but uh, my intentions are honorable, and so I'll eventually get some of this correspondence edited and posted. Until then, I guess I should say that there uh, have been several experienced psychonauts who have different opinions than Mateo and I do about the ayahuasca diet, and more importantly, there are differing opinions about the wisdom of using ayahuasca as a solo journey outside of the normal support structure offered by an experienced ayahuascaro. And while I haven't changed my own opinion, I do think that some of these other opinions are also worth considering, and so I'll pass them along and let you make these kinds of decisions on your own. But I do want to thank everyone who has sent emails about this topic, and I'll do my best to get your questions answered and your comments aired. Before I go, I want to mention that this and all of the podcasts from the Psychedelic Salon are protected under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 2.5 license. If you have any questions about that, just click on the Creative Commons link at the bottom of the Psychedelic Salon webpage. And if you have any questions, comments, complaints, or suggestions about these podcasts, well, just send them to Lorenzo at MatrixMasters.com. Thanks again to Jacques and friends at Chateau Hayuk for the use of your music here in the salon. And a big thank you goes out to Jean and Myron Stoleroff for their hospitality and to Ron and Claudia, not only for making this interview possible, but also for the many great adventures we shared together over the past few years. I really appreciate your friendship and support, you guys. Uh, The Psychedelic Salon wouldn't be what it is today without your help. And I also appreciate you being here in the salon today again. It's, It's really great to have you with us on this mystical journey into the unknown. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.